Okay, how about that? Let's try that. Yeah, that's a lot better. Okay, good, good. All right, man. Well, uh, so is the D silent in your last name? No, no, you you say it. Okay, okay. It's pronounced exactly like how it spells. Dvorak. Yeah, Dvorak. Dvorak. Really hard with the consonants. Okay, that's kind of like, you know, some French Revolution era. You know, that would be like something you would add to your name, like... The Marquis de Sade, or something yeah. like that, you know. <laughs> but uh, people, yeah, during the Enlightenment, they added the the does to their name a lot. I'm not saying that that was, you know, the origin of your family name, but but interesting nonetheless. I'm a historian on the side. So, oh, right on. Okay. okay. Yeah, uh, it's actually my first year not teaching college. Um, I was teaching college and running my gym for the last four years. So, yeah. Man, that's, yeah, that's a lot that's going, going on. on. I know. Now I just walk around with useless trivial knowledge. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sounds like my dad. dad. Yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, man. You know, I've I've kept up with you a little bit over um, recent years. I, I knew you had moved to Colorado and stuff, but um, you know, it's kind of funny. I'd been seeing you around on like the the tournament circuit. Like I, I knew you through jujitsu, and um, like I, ironically, I just was able to pull this up. Like, I remember being in my shitty apartment reading this episode of Jiu-Jitsu Magazine, and, like, I think I had just seen you at the George Seminar or something at Omar's, and then I'm, like, reading about you in Jiu-Jitsu Magazine and <laughs> that you had competed in. But, man, we did see each other on on the tournament circuit quite a bit, and I know that you owned your own gym, and, I mean, like, how did uh like how was kind of, how did you get going with Jiu-Jitsu? Like, I knew you, I think you were already a black belt the first time I met you, you know? Yeah, I got my black belt in 2017. Um, I started in jujitsu just like a way to hang out with my dad. Like uh, we um, didn't really have anything in common except, you know, the UFC. And once we got into that, you know, we just took off with it. And that was back in 2007, I think. Yeah, so it's been over 10 years. Y'all like went to class together and stuff or what? Yeah, yeah. Like that was like how we hung out. Well, then, like, so you started teaching jiu-jitsu, like, it, during the card belts, right? Like, you got kind of involved with that side of things kind of early on, it seems like. Yeah, I I started working at the original academy that I started training at, and I started off as, like, an assistant kids instructor. And then after a couple of years, that kind of took off a little bit, and I ended up running the whole program for a little while. And then after doing that for a few years, I decided, you know, that's what I wanted to do with my life. And then I opened up Top Game in 2014. So. So were in were you with Alan Moeller at that time? Like, is that am I misremembering that? Not originally. I went with I started working with Alan after I opened Top Game. Okay, right. So starting at Purple Belt. Yeah. See, so that is like uh, I guess you'd been with Alan probably for a few years because that is when you kind of came into my, uh, you know, awareness. Um, but man, and I just like, I I'd seen him and his guys at tournaments for years and just like had talked to him at tournaments and I had a lot of respect for his program, you know, and still, uh, still follow him. Did you, um, was that just like the big name for you to train with where you were at in Texas or what? 
Uh, yeah, I'd say it was one of the bigger names. Uh, we had like moved around and tried to talk to a few people, but once we had our first meeting with Alan, it was like that was where we wanted to go. So, and you, you're not originally, so this is like what, Denton, Texas, was it that you, mm -hmm. your first catch? Yeah, the Denton area. Well, but you're originally from Vegas, did I see? Is that? Yeah, that's, my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around a lot growing up, but that's like my middle school area, so that's kind of where I claim where I'm from, because that's like, like the first place I remember. Yeah, 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 for sure. I've been to Vegas probably 10 times, and it's awesome. Uh, oh, dude, it's my favorite. favorite. Uh, we always go. Uh, have you ever been there in International Fight Week? No. no. Yeah, like in man, they hadn't done it the last two years, not did this year, this year, but Century Martial Arts. They had that martial arts super show. It's like a trade show for people that own martial arts schools, but they always had it with Fight Week. So there'd be like UFCs, and then there's like the Waco kickboxing tournament, and like American Nationals with IBJJF was always going on that same week. One year I did that also. And it was just like the coolest experience, uh, and it's just all going down to Vegas and catching UFC, and it was, it was awesome. But um, I think uh, we're we're looking forward. I've also seen widespread panic there, and I believe we're gonna hit a concert, hit a concert there in uh, uh, 2023. Are you are you a, are you a fan of Panic? Uh, I'm not super familiar with them, but I'm really into like the festival scene. See, yeah, that's something else that we like had as a shared interest, which we can veer off into that. Because um, I remember, like, I think I was at a Buckethead concert or something I posted about, and you were like, oh, man, I was wanting to see that. Or, or maybe you had just seen him. But um, we do have a lot of shared uh, shared musical interest, it seems. What um, what are some of the bands you're into seeing? Uh, I've, I've seen, seen Sun Squabby just, just about every time, time they, they come, come through town. town. Dude, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. them. <laughs> Oh, dude, I've got like yeah, a dad. whole Squabby Run playlist I uh, play during my jiu-jitsu classes. Uh, okay, right on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I actually, when I first, when I first moved out to Colorado, Colorado they, were they were the first show, show I got, got to catch. catch. Like, like the, the next, next day, day, they were playing their Halloween, Halloween set, and it was, it was awesome. awesome. Dude, they blow me away. We saw them at George's here in Arkansas, this place up in Fayetteville. And we had gone to see the Floozies, and it was like their, yeah. album, it was like their album release party, right? And I'm there with my buddy Nate, Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, and um, we walk out of the concert, and this has been like a mind-blowing night. And, like we didn't even know who Sun Squabby was going in, and Russ Liquid was also playing. But okay, right on. Yeah, it was a it was a killer night. But um, we were walking out. My buddy Nate was like, "Damn, that Sun Squabby show! Like <laughs> the Floozies didn't even exist. They were headlining and everything. It was like their album release and." But man, they just they sold the show like for real. Um, that's not that's surprising. surprising. I mean, the Floozies go hard, but, but Sun Squabby's something special. special. They they caught us by surprise for sure. Uh, and I've been they play in Arkansas semi often. I've have had something going on the last couple of times they've come through. So, uh, but man, they do they bring it. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah, actually from around here. here. One, One of the uh, the venues that I go to pretty, pretty frequently is a place called Cervantes. And I guess the guitar player, Kevin, lives around there, so I'll bump into him all the time. Yeah. Yeah, just going to say what's up. That's Yeah, that's – I'm sure the scene up there is amazing. It's the best that I've, that I've seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, Panic plays – they do the Red Rocks show, like, every year. They have more sold-out shows at Red Rocks than any other band that's played there. Wow. That's not surprising either, though. Yeah. But, man, we've seen them about 50 times. 
uh, I'm a huge, uh, a huge fan. But uh, I got to get more into them. I'm not, I'm not super, super familiar. familiar. Man, you know, I would. Um, I think I have a theory about that, right? So, how old are you? Like 31. About 30, 30, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm 30, almost 31. Almost, I'm 35, so like I graduated high school in 06, but in 02 they like reached their zenith. I would say, like culturally, like their albums, like you just look at the history of the band, it was like upward all throughout the 90s, and then their lead guitar player, who's like really the the front man of the band, Mikey Hauser, um, he died of pancreatic cancer. And then they replaced him with this guy who's been with him since 06 now, uh, Jimmy Herring, who, like, that's somebody for you to just, like, definitely look into. But, um, man, it is what blows my mind about Panic is how connected they are. Like, they were funding the, like, bought Drive-By Truckers their first tour bus. Uh, they have all of these connections with, the like, Fideshi Trucks Band. Like, Panic's drummer is Derek Trucks' brother from like uh you know almond brothers and oh, yeah. trucks like yeah he was this prodigy 11 year old slide guitar player in the almond brothers uh Derek trucks was but it's wild how they have like all of these links to all of these other bands um that's like one thing that's fascinated me uh you know just like studying their their history because i didn't get into them until like 2015 so, oh yeah, yeah so that's, that's pretty, pretty late, late. I know, and then like so. Also, I got into him as Jimmy Herring's a guitar player, and he's like the only guitar player I've ever known. But I definitely like the Mikey Hauser era stuff better. You know, it's yeah, it's uh, it's but yeah, they man, and it's like they're one of the bands like the Dead. They record all their shows, so it's like where do you start type of a deal? Yeah, I know. It's, do they use that Nugs.net website? Oh yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, okay, so yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, um, my buddy Colby, he has nugs, and I have his login. And oh, nice! Like, it is a sick, um, a sick little platform for sure. Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> so you know, with back with jujitsu here, um, but like, you open top game. So like, one thing you're not, are you not teaching jujitsu anymore? You, I'm sure you may, you maybe teach a class as a black belt in Colorado, but you definitely don't own an academy anymore is that right no i don't own the academy anymore dude what is like that's one thing i was kind of you know i do own an academy i have 450 members i wow i really really can't picture doing i don't know i i remember the last time i was like a purple belt and i owned the gym already and i was like like on a vacation type thing i was like sitting poolside and i'm like oh you know i'm just gonna do this forever like that was the last time i really had any question about like whether I, whether I was going to be really all in on the on the martial arts academy school owner front, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, really just like haven't looked back since. But like, what's what's that been like for you, going from being the guy um, at your academy, you, you know, head head coach, uh, school owner to, you know, in cranking out some prodigies. Also, I would say like George Valderas being one who like at the time I met him was your student and like blowing people's minds um but um and he's gone on to do great things but like what has it been like not owning a school uh i don't know i think a little better i was really young when i opened up top game i was probably 24 23 and i was just i don't think i was ready for all of that you know i i'm good at being a guy but like you said i don't think i'm the guy 
See, dude, that's one thing about my school that, like, really, it was a good thing when I, I started teaching college to have a master's in history. So it allowed, like, man, I, one thing, I was like, uh, you know who Jason Scully is? He's open, mm -hmm. he's open an academy for, and hasn't had one for, like, 10 years, but he's just like, you know, he, he, the way he talks about running his academy is like, um, or he's going to run it or would run it, is a real similar way to like how I kind of um, was talking about this with our at our Christmas party. It's like I'm like you know used to be the face of the gym, hundred percent. But now like I walk in here and there's a whole bunch of people that do not even know who I am, right? Just because like the community is so large with yoga and kids classes. Like I don't teach the three to four year olds, um, you know. So like there's all of these faces of the gym. It's not just me, and this it's not even just my wife. We have a guy that teaches all of the morning classes. Like he's the, you know, the two people in there, the face of the morning programs. But it's just like, man, like a few years ago, I had to kind of um, like unplug in a way, you know, of uh, go from being the guy. Cause it's like, dude, teaching all the classes three times a day is not sustainable. No, it's <laughs> not. Like, you know, and that was one thing that, even early on was kind of wearing me out. Like right by the time I got my black belt, I was just like, um, you know, started putting people in, in roles that were super helpful. Like we fortunately have a bunch of good people helping us, you know, that um, they like wanted to be in those roles and have done an amazing job and are why we're so successful, you know? Um, but uh, that's definitely something that, Man, I, I know that I was young as well. I see I would have been 24 when mm -hmm. I was in Forza. So, and my wife was even younger than that. And, you know, that's another thing. Like, we owned the school together. Are you married? Uh, no, no. Okay, cool, cool. Um, but, yeah, so I don't even know how I would do it without her. Like, a, a bunch of people always, you know, hit me up like, hey, you know, how you doing? What you doing? I'm like, well, it's really, you know, Cora. You need a Cora. Yeah, you're, you're asking me about like I just have this other half that does all these things that I can't really do. I couldn't imagine doing it w without that, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was my dad and I who started the academy originally. Uh, he had his full time job. I tried to do it full time. Um, it just didn't really didn't really work out, you know. It's um, it's rough running a family business. Uh, oh, I, c I can. Well, yeah. I mean, it is, yeah. yeah, and it was really just us too. We didn't have a Cora or anything like that. Uh, you know, if I wasn't teaching, he was. He uh, was. We had a couple of students who would help out sometimes, but you know. And then once people started to outgrow the place, all the higher belts would leave, and then you know it was just starting back over again. Man, yeah. Well, and too, so like in that Denton, Texas area, is there a lot of competition around y'all, or were you? No, we were. We were like the main one. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But there were other big names, like, like a little bit further, further away that would, you know, once people got good enough and they outgrew it, it they'd want to go somewhere else. else. Yeah. So what um, what prompted your move to Colorado? Was it, did you decide to close the academy down and do something else? Were those, were those things connected in any way? Yeah. Yeah, we sold the academy to another person uh, probably December 2018. And I was in Colorado, October 2019. So sold it, saved up a little bit of money, was looking for a change, came out here. Nice. Uh, just 
you know, did you just like been out there before feeling the vibe? Like, is that, um, what, what, what inspired you to choose Colorado? Yeah, I came out and visited a few times. I really liked it. Um, I'm really big into cannabis and I got into the cannabis industry when I started working out here and, you know, I just, I like being outside, going on hikes, that kind of thing. And there's plenty of that. Plus the music scene out here is incredible. Yeah. 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 Word. Yeah. So now that's, that's an interesting topic as well. So, you know, I'm in Arkansas where like we're, uh, medicinally legal state uh but still it is highly um regulated right yeah, yeah. you can't um uh, like pre-rolls anything like that totally off the table uh really oh yeah dude dude there's wow. like, um and two for the for a while like the first dis- there's only a couple of dispensaries they didn't even open the first dispensary for like three years until after the bill passed yeah, that makes, makes sense, sense though. though. It sometimes, sometimes takes them a while, while to get that, get that shit going. going. Yeah, and then um, while there were no other dispensaries, the prices were so high, dude. Now it's like regulated, and you know you can get twenty dollars eights and stuff if you want. Yeah, yeah. but man, they there's still it's like yeah, edibles. There were no edibles there for like the first stint, and um, you know then it was like only chocolate bars and i don't know it just like it took a while for things to open up and uh now it has but we just uh we just had a vote for um recreational and it like the way they wrote it up it was all regulated um like mm-hmm. you couldn't grow any plants or anything like that so it, it didn't pass wow so, so no pre-rolls or anything, anything. So, so was it just, just them just selling loose buds, buds in the beginning anything? Yeah, everything still is just loose buds, and wow. uh, there are no pre like that. And then you can get like um, extracts, and let's see, uh, you can get a variety of edibles, gummies, chocolates, um, Keef stuff like that. But yeah, um, RSO, like you can get some stuff like that as well. But man, it's just still took forever, like years after we. Um, had had passed uh medicinal before we were we were getting to that point you know it's only been that way for like a year or so wow i didn't even know y'all were medical out there yeah yeah man it's um which that's a weird you know weird thing like uh just the number of states where it is uh it's legal statewide i'm like really surprised that we haven't seen more of a push you know for federal legality yeah, yeah, yeah. Lobbying. lobbying too many, too many people, people making too much money. money yeah i'm trying to get some marble greens though you know like, <laughs> yeah i feel you oh man um yeah so dude so here's another uh another interesting thing i was wanting to hit you up about like just following you over the years watching just you post on social media really um so you're into some sleight of hand some magic you have like an act with that like what's what's the whole story with how you got into all that yeah i think magic was like my first love uh, i saw david blaine on tv when i was 10 changed my life so um i was originally just doing it like playing around uh just having a hobby showing it to my friends and stuff until i don't know maybe 2016 2017 i was randomly at a party uh there was another magician there who was also like a local hip hop artist who had a bunch of connections. We started hanging out, putting some stuff together, ended up um, booking a show 
sold it out. And then from there, we would like book in different venues all over Texas, travel around and uh, start doing that. Yeah. Uh, so you've you've been you've been doing your act in Colorado recently. Like, like, what was that like? with the pandemic and everything for you well the pandemic it slowed down like almost to a halt but um after that i would reach out to different venues nobody got back to me until i found this place called um it was like the sugar cube it's like an underground um like warehouse type venue uh, i asked them if they were looking for a magician like just something cool to have for their people they reached out they said yeah come on down Actually, Actually, is there any way I could get rid of this echo in the headphones? headphones? I can't see it on my end. end. We're like turning it down a bit. Is that any better? Let's see. Still a little loud. It may just be my headphones. Any better now? Let's see. Yeah, it's a little better. Sorry, I'd say something and like two seconds later I hear it again. Yeah, no, no worries. Um... Anyway, yeah, so that happens sometimes. I don't know, like it's like I have like a, a mixer that's for like for live streaming, and like so a, a lot of people are just like, I mean, you could do that. I've done one of these on my phone before, you know, like you can do it yeah. on your iPad, you can do it on anything, and like the the settings sometimes like don't line up perfectly with like who you're doing it with. If they're not in yeah. the studio. That's why a lot of podcasts do not do uh, Zoom episodes. But man, I'm in Arkansas, and if I don't if I don't do digital episodes, sometimes um you're just so limited on uh yeah i can imagine it'd be rough so after after booking that with the sugar cube i'm, I'm sure you've, you've been to festivals and stuff like that right yeah have you ever heard of a little traveling group called frick frack blackjack mm, i don't think so they're like a little carnival that'll set up at festivals they'll play blackjack and other casino games but instead of betting money you bet like stuff little knickknacks and things so like little treasures that you'll find that weird you know weird stuff that people have they'll bet against that uh they happen to be there i went and talked with them they wanted like a magician to hang out with them so i went with them to a couple of festivals and events and then just started booking shows from there so okay so when did you start trying to like put yourself out there with that right around 2016 probably when i met my partner richie and you got rejected a lot? Uh, not in the beginning. In the beginning, it took off quite a bit and really fast. Richie had a lot of good connections to like get us into places too. So that really helped. It was once I moved out here and I was kind of doing it on my own and really have no idea how to like network and get that kind of stuff going. Mm-hmm. That was the issue. But then once I you know, got in somewhere, it started working a lot better. Yeah, so it's just that pandemic that slowed things down for that yeah. industry, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that was such a weird time. Um, even like we closed for probably about six weeks, but I had just purchased um, the location I'm in now, which is my studio's in. It's eight thousand square feet. Wow. And three weeks later, the pandemic hits, and they're like, "Well, you know, y'all should probably close down for a while," you know. And we did close just to like see. Like more like the public perception, like like even in our southern location, like people were like lambasting the churches for having service and stuff. So we were just like, all right, secret open mat at yeah, 
you know, it was just a weird time. I remember also, like, we were here rolling illegally or whatever. I don't know. We were closed down, but the cops were chasing somebody, and they came up to the door, and, and they're like, we're not here to check on anything. We are looking for a person. You're not doing anything wrong. It was like a weird, like, we were both just, like, I'm looking at him through the door, like, you know, we're just, we're just, it was weird. It was a weird. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm glad you guys survived. I worried about all the people I knew and all my friends who had academies. I can't even imagine. I know several that closed down. Um, different people I talked to in the industry, like with Century, and then um, I know some guys that own some big gyms. But like we're part of the Superfoot Bill Wallace organization, and like an estimate is that forty percent of the martial arts schools closed. That's huge. Yeah. Um, And I don't know where that stat comes from. That might just be, you know, that might be a stat from the broader, like, group fitness industry if you wanted to lump that in. But um, I've heard that stat repeatedly. 40% seems like a ton. But I could kind of see it because, man, like, how many schools probably just, like, they're just paying the bills and, like, not trying to do it as a full-time thing. Like, for me, it was – you know, it's been it can easily be a, a full time job and income for my wife, myself. We have full time employees, but not everybody is all in on that front. You know. Yeah. But uh, man, that's that's crazy. Forty percent. Well, the government paid. You know, this is another weird thing about this. Like the government paid our mortgage for like uh, like eight months, right? Like. Well, see, that's cool. The interest and everything. It is, but I was thinking about that today because somebody like scam called me, like a spammer, uh, like, oh, you know, your employees, a, a PPP loan and the pandemic loan that you didn't get. And I'm like, no, stop calling me. But like, I know so many people personally, I know so many people that got like a ton of money like that they did not have to pay back. Wow. And now I have to pay taxes when I order shit on reverb.com. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm not happy about it. Man, yeah, that was what I was I was worried about like thinking about like if I hadn't have sold the academy when I did, I don't know, I don't know how we would have made it. Yeah, it man, if we weren't like we we try and keep have always tried and really it's it's the core thing like I was saying earlier. It's really she tries to keep things this way. Um like when when that happened, I'm like, okay, we can last 6 months. We can last six months, and and then after that, we're totally fucked. <laughs> like, and but fortunately, it was about six weeks, and then I mean, did it? Everybody's just ready to get back to training, and it was uh, I don't know. Like, we just had a really, uh, really positive, um, uh, like a large amount of public support, and that was like the big thing. Is like, uh, like with the culture and the. Uh, of cancellations even here like uh like i said people were just like calling people out on social media for whatever that was like yeah. a, a gathering it was just a weird time but yeah um so what's uh you what's it been like training jiu-jitsu in colorado what's the scene like out there it's not as big as it was in texas there are a couple of really big gyms that have a lot of locations and then just like small mom and pop shops I, uh, I'm training right now at a place in Longmont called Dark Horse Jiu-Jitsu. I'm teaching twice a week out there. 
Cause like you were talking about when the pandemic hit, like I can't stop trading, you know, I'm, I gotta get, I gotta get on the mat at least a little bit. So they were kind of struggling. They were looking for instructors. I came in and helped them out and now they've got, they're just killing it. So it's been, it's been great to get the, get to work out with them. Yeah. Now is that the, is that like the first spot that you started training at when you moved out there? Or did, you, did you hit a couple of different spots up? Yeah. Well, I was originally living in another town and I was training at a place called the compound, which is a Lovato school. And they were some of the most savage killers I've gotten to train with. So yeah, they were awesome over there. Yeah. I just trained with Lovato like six weeks ago for the first time. I hadn't yeah. Did you actually get to roll them? No, no. He used me to show a few techniques and like one time he was like past my guard. And I was like, dude, I've tried, I've tried. Like, we, it was a really good seminar, but um, I mean, there's like a couple of things I took away, and then I that like I'd never seen or thought about. And then at the end, we were doing questions, and I was like asking him about his ADCC matches and some takedowns, like when he hit that uh, like um, kind of like a throw by to the back, and then. It was like a like a butterfly, like a sumigeshi from the rear, like. But whoa, yeah, he showed it, and I was like, okay, it was worth the trip, you know. Oh, but, for sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, I I will say, I would just kind of throw him on front street. He showed up to the seminar one hour late. We started training one hour after it was scheduled. Damn, yeah, I was disappointed by that. But I I was just like, oh, whatever. Oh, I've been to I've been to a seminar or two like this, you know, whatever. Something happened, rush hour traffic. I'm sure there's an explanation, but like I took ten students with me, and they were they were less taller, uh, you know, open about being, uh, you know, understanding. So yeah, but, I had a uh, I had taken a seminar with Kyle uh, Tara once, and he had asked us in the beginning. He says, "Do we want to go over like some fun techniques and like you know make it a fun day, or do we want to look at some super hard stuff and like get super technical about it?" And we chose the latter. And I don't think he was stoked about that because he would show these techniques and people weren't getting it. And he was getting visibly frustrated and it was just not, not the funnest experience. But I did take away a couple of cool details, which is, you know, what well, all you can do for a two hour seminar of somebody just, you know, telling you techniques. Exactly. That, that's it, man. Like, so like with that seminar, he showed a couple of things from top, a couple of things from bottom. Like some, se but like it's like sequences, you know, it was like a sweep and then like you're in like a headquarters type passing situation, go to mount. Like it was not uh, just like you swept the guy to side control. It's over. Yeah. It was more than that. But man, he really just showed like four things, um, which was good. Well, that's cool. Like, it was good, but everybody was like, oh, the fifth thing would have been nice. You know, I don't yeah. know. That's like, what, like a bunch of people were saying, but. I, 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 it was worth my trip. You know, it was like an hour and a half, uh, one way to get there. And I had not trained with him and always wanted to been a fan of his, uh, his jujitsu for a long time. So. Yeah. I took a private lesson with Carlos Machado one time. And, uh, I remember I was sitting in closed guard. I had him in my closed guard and he looks at me and he goes, knock me over. I swear it was like he was stuck to the ground. Couldn't separate his elbows. I mean, I would like grab his collar and shake and the dude would just not move. It was, it was wild. Posture and guard, dude. Uh, so you ever trained with Hickson or, or anybody that's like one of his white belts? 
No, unfortunately not. So I've got trained to him a couple of times, and one of his black belts is a really good friend of mine. Um, he's actually a Dave Kama black belt, but, man, he does privates of Hickson, like, often. The whole time I've known, I've known him since probably 2013. But um, he's taught, like, six seminars at my gym. I've done, I don't know, 15 privates with him. But Henry Akins teaches a lot of this stuff, too. Um, but posture and guard, like, the way they do it, they're just like a stump, you know, like you can't, cannot move them at all. It's insane. Um, but just like things you wouldn't really think like nobody I knew, you know, was into that. Like, and I just like got plugged in with Jack Tofford's his name. He's got some, um, a really great series on Budo videos called BJJ versus cancer. And he shows like five, it's like a five part series, you know, like 12 minutes each or something. But, the techniques he shows in there are all techniques he learned from Hickson. And, like, I've done that stuff with him a ton. And, it, like, when I started doing it with him, I'm like, man, I, I don't know anybody that even knows this stuff, right? Like, uh, none of the black belts I'm training with. And it's the stupidest, simple, like, oh, you can't tip me over and close guard. Yeah. It's amazing what even the smallest details will do. Yeah. No, that's uh, – that, man, and – that's one thing I love about jujitsu, but it's also like the struggle and like Hickson talks about it as invisible jujitsu. Henry Akins calls it hidden jujitsu. People call it principles all the time, but man, just like things that you cannot really see, like how you're hanging weight on somebody, like you know, you you know the subtleties even of like a judo throw. You're drawing drawing somebody's weight just up on their toes just a little bit to throw them. Just things that like make it so hard to learn um, if you're not there feeling it, you know, like via video or book. And I've got a, a library and then tons of video hard drives full, you know. But um, that's one thing, man. There's just nothing like feeling it and like, you know, putting it all into play. It's just not the same, you know, doing it any other way, in my opinion. But yeah, you got to have a class and you got to have an instructor who can take those concepts and like make them digestible. I always like to like equate things to other things just to, you know, if you have an idea of something already, it's easier to take that and apply it to something else. For sure. Yeah. Uh, you, do you get into any other martial arts outside of jujitsu? No, that was it. I, uh, I started in 07 uncoordinated unfit you know was never really active before that and man it changed my life completely same like i played high school football but i was man i was like up to 230 pounds when i had um got got into training but like the gym i went to like we did mma and then like a year and a half in my instructor had got a blue belt dude there were four black belts in the whole state at that time that sounds about right but and it was this was oh six but man we added we added a a gi, a gi program and i started doing that and and just you know never stopped really yeah <clears throat> but yeah that's um i i've often been like uh man because i might bo we have a boxing club kickboxing muay thai i, I have a judo black belt but it's just like that MMA approach is like kind of the culture I came in at the time and like splitting everything up. It's awesome having done it for like 16 years, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like, I'm like, I wonder if I just would have put all that energy into jujitsu, what that would have been like. 
Yeah, I was pretty fortunate that that's kind of how it went with me. I mean, it was an MMA school too, because I think that's all that was around in 06, 07. You know, people weren't like specifically marketing themselves as jujitsu because I don't think people knew what it was yet. Yeah. You, know, you know what the UFC was and you know MMA was and you could kind of sneak that program in there. But it wasn't until like it really took off that you could market just jujitsu. I mean, I think the first world championships held in America was like 07. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, man, and just like even when I first started teaching, people were still coming in. This would have been like, you know, through probably 2015 that people were kind of really still coming in, like looking for MMA. And mm -hmm. this was like a, a shift probably 2013 to 2015 around that time where like jujitsu really did seem to start to take off and more and more like that program grew. And then like the jujitsu program shrank, like we had uh, or the MMA program, rather we had an MMA class uh, the other night and I think it had five people in it. We have it once a week. Everything else is just like, you know, Muay Thai or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or Nogi. Yeah. But, um, man, it's just like we would do more of it if, like, people would show up. It's not like there's a flaw in our model or, or anything that I can see, you know. I mean, like, the Jiu Jitsu class, I have 30 people in it, you know. Um, 10 people in the morning class at 5.30 a.m. and stuff like that. So it's just um, the consumer market, the demographics not coming in for that. I also think that MMA is different than it used to be. It's marketed different. It looks different. Whereas jujitsu, I feel like can bring in a more varied crowd, mm -hmm. you know, unathletic people can get it because of like the cerebral aspect to it. Athletic people can get it because, you know, it's a sport, you know, it's, it, it, it bring, it's a weird combination of all these different kinds of people and personalities. Whereas MMA, I feel like, brings in a certain type of person that's a great way like i just kind of like refer to that as like the fighters like yeah i had a guy on i haven't uploaded this but um we're gonna put it out here anytime but he like trained with delagrati owns a school um just outside of boston and like this guy is like was like an undefeated pro heavyweight like 10 and 0 and then he's just like no nah, fuck mma like fuck fighters like, like, you know what this fighter is going to want me to do for him? Like, and he goes off and he's like, you know, and in like two years of this dude not having a job and fighting like three times, it's like go, going over his, uh, like his take on it. And I'm like, bro, I know, like I, I've dealt with that. There's all, it's always just like a couple of people that want to come in that they just, their value set of why they are doing this is not the same, you know? Exactly. It, it, it's weird. Yeah, it's not, I don't feel like it's a mixed martial arts thing anymore. I think it's fighting. And I think jujitsu brings in more of martial artists where MMA is more like fighters. Yeah, and that's, yeah. Now, how like Randy Couture versus Conor McGregor. <clears throat> yeah. That's in, like, I use the term martial arts a ton. Just like talking about what we do um, over like any individual style, you know, just because it's like, I don't care like who you are if you if you do martial arts for like you know as a hobby for self defense it's like that could be anything it could be jiu jitsu it could be karate taekwondo whatever um but man that's uh like the demographic uh, the mass number of people that are going to come like to me for martial arts like that's what they're they're going to type in on Google martial arts I mm -hmm. don't know like 
we will have more and more people that'll like do like jujitsu related keywords <coughs> in the searches. Like I see some of that, but it's it's martial arts. Like the kids that train here in jujitsu, their parents think they do karate. It's it's kind of weird, and I can't even overcome that. Yeah, it's you know it's educating the market because not only are you do you have to like educate them in techniques, you have to educate them in what jujitsu is in the first place. Because even as popular as it is now, you know, most people on the street aren't going to know. Yeah, that's true. Well, and like Joe Rogan has been huge for that. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I can, I, so many people I talk to talk about jujitsu in a very loose way based on what they hear on the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, that's, well, that's a whole other side of that too. Yeah, for sure. But it is like, it's it, in those ways, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like made inroads into the larger culture, you know, yeah. um, into the zeitgeist. Uh, but it's, it's been good. You know, it's a good thing overall, I feel like. I do too. It's been interesting to, to watch and be a part of. I tell people a lot, uh, do you ever compete at uh, Worlds or go out to Worlds or anything like that? Yeah. Um, did, you have, did, you, did you ever win any big tournaments, Worlds, Pants? No, nothing big. Uh, me, I got a bronze at the Houston IBJJF one time. Yeah, yeah, that's about that's about the height I got to. Also, I was pumped about it though. It was it was not an easy bracket or day. End up losing. Uh, did you ever train with Cooper Cardinal? Oh yeah, from Alvarez. Yeah, he was good, dude. I had a couple matches against him, um, but in that bracket, like the finals, uh, was him and Benji Silva that day. I remember. So, I'm not familiar with Benji, but I know Cooper fairly well. Benji was a Kyle Terra guy, and he went on to do great things. Like, um, you know, Kevin Williams, like, refs at the AGF all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I know Kevin. He beat Kevin for the fight to win um, middleweight title back when Kevin was holding on to that for a long time, you know? But that's saying something because Kevin is sick. I know, dude. Like, uh, but, <clears throat> yeah, Benji was good. I, I, I'm – Essentially positive that Cooper beat him that day, but like they had a little bit of a rivalry going. But Benji kind of had a rivalry going with everybody. It seemed like so he was just like kind of kind of put off that vibe. But <clears throat> um, yeah, all those dudes over from Alvarez. Are... Yeah, yeah, but that's uh, man. Any I've competed at several tournaments um, in Texas. Uh, just different age from AGFs to IBJJFs. We did Dallas uh, about every year we could there for several years in a row. I got some guys doing it this year. I don't really compete anymore, but are you, are you still competing at all? Yeah, fairly often. If there's registration, I'm not paying anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you on that. Like that's, yeah, they've taken enough of my money. And that's an interesting concept too. Like, um, paying to go compete in the tournament that they're going to charge spectators to watch you and you're providing the it's all the competitor you know it's just a kind of a, a interesting concept especially with how much like ibjjf's cost and, th and like the like the fees my guys are paying now i'm just like jeez yeah, yeah. i mean even hava mendez was paying to compete at the worlds <sighs> yeah. yeah you know like that's crazy well, and too, yeah, and like there is, you know, you got you got the outliers like Gordon Ryan. Like, there's money in the sport, but for such a small percentage of people, you know. Yeah. Um, and even, uh, man, even like 
it would just be such a grind to try and like only make a living competing in jiu-jitsu like i could not even imagine that yeah trying to sustain that i think that just goes back to the education to the public people don't know what they're looking at you know they don't they don't understand a cool transition they'll know a cool submission when they see it but like somebody puts in all this work to pass the guard it just looks like somebody laying on top of somebody true dude okay so here's a great example of that like when Connor fought Khabib, like I was actually pretty impressed with like Connor stopping Khabib there initially from getting on his legs and mounting him. Like he had some like butterfly transitions where he was able to like sit up and like create space and like move from like on his side to like get into a butterfly position. It's like stopping him from mounting him. And like he ultimately, you know, I mean, you know how things turned out, but. I was like, oh, okay, well, you, dude, you've been training. Like, I could tell, like, okay, that was that was a good move, a good movement with your hips there against that guy. But only you and I are going to be seeing and saying those things, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's why people boo when they go to the ground. They just don't know what they're looking at. Oh, dude, yeah, I always uh, joke um, with uh, would be at MMA fights in Arkansas. This is a long time ago, but like some drunk dude in the crowd, like guys are striking they're striking you hear von flu like von flu choke and i'm just like oh my god like what what is going on here it's like learning a new language just shooting out words when you think they're appropriate oh man oh yeah wow yeah so um man so like you know between that period of like it seems like you're really digging training uh at dark horse like i've seen you post about it um but I mean, was there like a period in between, like when you close your gym down and then where like, uh, like I've seen you also like talk about kind of like having a little bit of a love hate relationship with jujitsu, you know, is that, was that like impartiality of like you closing your academy down and just like going to back to being a regular student? Like what was that like? Well, it was, I used jujitsu for my mental health. And when it became a job and it wasn't as successful as I wanted it to be, it really started to bog me down. So once I like got away from that and got back to training for fun and like actually enjoying it again, I remembered why I loved it so much. Yeah. And that's, that's always been the thing for me is like, I have to, I have to have it. And when it started to like, bleed into everything else in my life and it was the only thing and i i just didn't like it as much anymore yeah no that's um man i can feel that for sure because like man when i started like I, i'm into other things like the podcast taught college for four years have all these you know people around me that help in various ways so i can you know uh pursue other interests uh other passions like you know like with you with magic or whatever but I will say, like, it is, uh, it is super weird. Like, you lose something when you're the, you're the owner, head coach guy, you know? Like, it's, you don't get to experience it in the same way. And part of, part of the reason behind, like, trying to, like, transition it to, to like, more to, like, the model that I have now or, like, even moving forward with that is so I can enjoy it for my own selfish reasons more, you know? Like, we have – yeah we've produced five black belts now at our school outside of myself. We'll have two more 
by the end of next year and then another one on deck a little bit after that but man is that is that process is is taking place more like you know it's not like I remember when like we exclusively had to give blue belts to cover class, you know, and it now mm-hmm. it's like almost exclusively bite belts that cover the class. So that's just been a cool like there's probably a hundred bite belts in Arkansas now, you know? And it's been a cool thing to uh witness that transition. Yeah, how is the scene like that? Cause you mentioned going to Texas a lot for competing, and I don't know of any majors that move out to Arkansas or anything like that. Do you guys mainly have the AGF or is there like other markets that you guys have too agf was the first jujitsu tournament to come to arkansas Um, wow not even naga naga said they were going to do it and didn't wow throwing them on front street right now they did and then like um agf came in like uh we've had other like grappling industries and stuff but agf comes twice a year and there's it's massive both times everybody supports it and if they hold it in central arkansas and then they have like uh, I went to the first AGF in uh, I believe it's in Springfield, right? Um, but like w- where we are, um, there's Northwest Arkansas. Fuji comes up and does like four- Northwest Arkansas, uh, Fayetteville, and uh, then over in Missouri and Springfield. But yeah, that's uh, it's pretty much AGF, and then like other lower quality tournaments that don't do as good of a job that come in and capitalize on their market it's yeah really unfortunate like i'll try and talk my guys i'm like just do agf or like some other like um, serious competitors those summits are really cool have you done a summit before no i haven't heard of them um it's kind of like a like a fight to win like just like 25 super fight oh like a pro show yeah yeah yeah, okay yeah I've had a uh, couple, couple of my guys uh, do those recently, and they've come to Little Rock once, and then I had uh, three of my guys do one in Memphis, and then they're coming back to Little Rock. So, but um, that's been nice. But man, we've done everything from like going to Omar's for some like uh, you know eight on eight or something. Like he would he would have like these di- different like tournaments, like eight women and eight men and two different you know brackets of you know, do it whatever way but we we were when i was coming through the colored ranks we we're always trying to compete anywhere we could we ha- always had to go out of state to oklahoma and get taken down by fucking wrestlers or <laughs> texas where it would be like you know alvarez or molar people and then there would always be lovato people or like lovato would be fucking coaching against you or something so yeah yeah, shout out to the AGF. I love those guys. I was one of their first sponsored athletes, and I've been competing with them forever, and they're definitely my favorite organization to work with. So that's good that you guys have them out there. Yeah, no, dude, They actually just had their first Denver events. I bet we were on the same group of people because um, I got sponsored by them as well. Um, Andrew Wilty, Clay Mayfield. Yeah, it's all those guys. Yeah, Clay's been on the podcast. Kevin Williams has been on the podcast. So, um yeah, but like the whole bunch of those first round uh, people, um, man, they went on to do amazing things. I, I did not know. Did you do any of like the qualifiers or anything they did? Um, I think I was just like a little behind you. I think by the time I'm pretty sure I was a purple belt and you were a black belt when I first met you. But I could be misremembering that. Yeah, I didn't get my black belt until 2017. What year would that George seminar have been in uh, at Omar's? Oh, man. I think I was still a brown belt at that time. 
Okay. So maybe, maybe even purple. It was fairly early. Maybe you were a brown. Maybe I'm just remembering because like Omar was a black belt. But still at that yeah. time, it was it was kind of like, I don't know, like I just didn't get to like go train and be around like a bunch of brown and white belts, you know. I remember working with Corbin Crisp uh, at that seminar too. Um, and he's gone on to do amazing shit. Oh, yeah. Him and uh, Jams. James Patridge. Yeah, James. Yeah. Uh, he taught a seminar at my gym. Um been on the podcast man i really uh i really enjoy talking to him he's an awesome dude yeah i was lucky to get to compete against him a couple of times i've only rolled with him i've rolled with him a few times and just awesome uh when he came in did a seminar uh rolled with him a ton and just so smooth uh, like i don't know i just really i really i enjoyed watching him over the years too like any tournament i've ever been at that he's competed but i never never competed against him yeah, we were used to be in the same weight class. I think he's bigger than me now. But we I think we met at an AGF. It's either Oklahoma, maybe it was Arkansas. But yeah, we met in the finals of an AGF once and it was a it was a pretty tough match. Man, he is um Yeah, he was just like one of those early guys that could just rip your knee apart with a heel hook and I, like mm -hmm. That's the same thing with like uh, that was like George's shtick back in the day, like uh, like when no one was doing that, he he was like ripping people apart, and I'm just like, man, I wish I could heal hook people. I was pretty lucky that early in my career, I had a, a black belt named Matt Larry, who was all about the leg locks and the heel hooks. So like since early blue belt, I've been playing with that, and definitely my favorite submission. Not I, man, and that's that's great. Like I didn't get into leg locks until like man it was late purple belt man it's still like the the gym it's like a you know like we have like a larger association like when i got my black belt um it was like under our head coach not the coach i'd come up under because like like i said like i've been training with him a little while when he got a blue belt right so it's like all of our ranks are just like under the same guy like his coach is like the same guy that ended up being my coach on my black belt cert but like he moved off and opened a gym um, <clears throat> in Northwest Arkansas too, so it's like I didn't get to train with them anymore. But um, man, just like leg locks are a taboo thing, and like with that first gym I trained at, them they would they would do them like for MMA, but it's like MMA started to fade a little bit, like we we're talking about earlier. That's when it like became like they were super into jujitsu competition and like produced a couple world champions, um, done really well overall like pans i could go to big tournaments and, and bring medals back and they were just super stereotypical about like fuck leg locks you know we don't do that shit around here yeah it was always like it was always frowned upon like if you can't pass guard you leg lock somebody yeah you know what i mean but you know that gave me a lot of success early on in the nogi circuit because i had that that just like extra step of like those sambo knots and you know, 411 before they were calling it that, 50-50, like, before they were calling it that. Yeah. No, nah, that's – everybody has just been ahead of serious learning curve with that stuff. And I've had guys go and do, like, those super or super uh, fight format matches where this dude, he's like, oh, he's about to get a blue belt, and he'd wrestled in high school, right? But he'd been trying, like, less than two years with me and wrestled in high school. Goes and – does this super fight with this other white belt who's been training for 10 years. We, we get there and I'm like, Oh, this guy, like, I know this guy, like he was at my gym eight years ago. 
training. Like one of my guys beat him in a tournament eight years ago, you know. And so he he grapples this dude and heel hooks him right out the gate with an outside heel hook, which a lot of people have atrocious finishing details on. I feel like more so mm-hmm. on the inside, but just like over. And man, it's just like a di- it just can close the gap just like that, like uh, still. And that was like two years ago. So the learning curve is still out there, and it's still. I still know people that don't, they don't, they really invest any time in them, or they like the stereotypical. Oh well, you know I can do the knee bars and stuff at brown belt. So I, uh, you know, we'll just wait till I get my brown belt. I guess I don't like. I don't know, like coaches will just not be teaching their students like white through purple, like submissions that they can't do. And it's uh, I, it's weird. I've seen a little bit of that. Over the yeah, years. I was lucky that my first couple of instructors were like, nah, fuck that. We're going to learn everything. You know, heel hooks are, it's easy to get into. It's hard to get out of. Heel hooks in the gi. All right. I'm just, I'm, a, I'm an advocate. Some people are the, like, I, 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 if I'm showing a video for my YouTube, I'm not going to like, Okay, well, we're doing some gi techniques, and like I'm gonna take my gi off so we can show this heel hook. That's just like such a weird concept to me. I'm like, y- you know, it's just like I teach heel hooks in gi class, but that's I feel like a taboo thing with a lot of gyms. Like they'll only do a no gi. Yeah. Something. Well, the amount of hip control and knee control that I can get with a gi, I mean, that would be the only submission anybody went for. Yeah, with the ease of entry and the ability to control the knee line just because you have those pants to grab, mm-hmm. that seems that seems cool. I would be into it. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's like we're holding the game back, you know, is, is how I feel about it. And, like, I tell I tell people, like, with, with this sort of stuff, like, I don't want to be an, uh, an article that I read on, like, Jiu-Jitsu Times or jiu-jitsu eastern europe or what whatever the publication is it's talking shit about this about this stuff you know like whatever it is the stereotypes of jiu-jitsu mcdojos or whatever it is you know um but i like look at that stuff and i'm like well shit like i i I felt like they were going to be making heel hooks legal at ibjjf eventually in about two and a half years after i really started changing my training around that happened in in nogi for Mm -hmm. jjf so which is weird it's only in the adult division master division can't still can heel hook damn yeah even at black belt that's weird like, i didn't know that yeah i didn't know that until recently either because i was stoked about it i'm in the master's division now and i get to heal with people that's nah. like that's like slipping in a regulation on the cannabis stuff earlier man Jeez. yeah that's that bill and we didn't even know about it yeah honestly <laughs> how how pissed would you have been you sign up you get this sweet heel hook and you get DQ'd. Oh man. I've got to like, man, that is something to keep an eye on. I don't like most of the guys I have the computer adult right now, but I do have a guy, uh, probably a couple of guys didn't do masters worlds next year, but, um, they're not going to do Nogi, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I beat you. Jeff's been doing more of that format too with like, Gi one day, no gi the second day, like more so than I ever remember when I was competing on that circuit, you know? Yeah, since no gi's been blowing up. Yeah. I remember I had an instructor tell me one time, because I was talking about training with no gi less, or tra- training no gi more, training in the gi less, and he's told me that nobody cares about no gi jiu-jitsu. The money's going to be in the gi in the future. And, you know, look how that turned out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I wonder what, uh, man, this, this last year's ADCC was sick. 
So yeah, um, I'm like pissed at myself for not going. Like I, I had a couple of really good friends out there, um, and I'm I'm planning on going to the next one. Just like oh for sure value. Oh man, that was uh, such good matches too. Cade Rotolo, man. Dude, just wild seeing those guys. Uh, like, literally, I remember the first video I saw of them as kids. They had, like, a little viral video, like, them doing – it was, like, really all the Gracie self-defense techniques. Like, they were, like, going through them. And um, I'm like, man, these kids are sick. But then then it was, like, videos of them doing rolling knee bars and all sorts of fancy stuff, like bear and bolos. Um, but now, man, just to see, like, the – them go from being 10 years old to ADCC champ is yeah and submitting everybody on the way dude you know uh were were all of his wins now nah, he had a heel hook too but like he got like two or three arm bars right yeah he definitely arm barred um Lachlan Giles yeah I think he arm barred Ethan Krellenstein too yeah like um you know I will say like I just I just learned how to do the arm bar dude <laughs> like I trained with Daniel O'Brien. Uh are you familiar with who that is? Mm -mm. He's a dude a few years back, like three or four years ago, that maybe longer that entered this tournament uh blindfolded. You ever remember hearing about that? No. And he like submit like black belt division, like NCAA Division One wrestler, world champion of the division, submitted everybody, but beat everybody but one guy. Um He's in, like, central Alabama um, near Brandon McCatherine's Academy, if you know him. He's an Eddie Bravo guy. He was he was one of the commentators of ADCC. But I will say, dude, like, um, I kind of feel like the way Rotola was doing the arm bar is kind of – Donaher would call it slack removal. Um, and that's, like, been a big thing I've been looking at on all my subs that I've, I got from, a, like, Donaher principle, like, just something he teaches a lot of. But, like, I, like, just really distend the arm pulling it this way now, no matter what I'm doing with my legs or anything. If I'm, like, I'm, like, trying to distend your joint. But, like, w when he pulls people up and falls back down, you distend the joint way mm -hmm. more. And, like, so you think people doing a conventional um, arm bar from guard, that has never been, like, I, it's it's always been taught to me to, like, pull off the hips or, like, you know, pull into yourself, but like I'm pulling this way if I'm laying mm -hmm. on the ground, you know. Uh, but like, dude, when he was doing Daniel Bryan saw a seminar at my gym and he's doing that to me, I was like, dude, you're about to like he's not even doing anything with his legs. I'm like, bro, I'm about to tap to this, like just like what you're doing to my elbow, like distended my elbow joint out, you know. So it was just like some new new understandings on the on the elbow you know, part of the arm bar, like, versus, like, man, I've had uh, a guy, two friends of mine get their bicep tendons torn from it being back this way, you know? Yeah. Man, it's just, like, all those little details, dude. It's all about the smallest details. And that's what I like about it. Yeah, that's, man, and that's back to the, why I've always been such a big fan of um, Hicks and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's because it's, it's the stupidest stuff that you are literally like every everything i've learned from that guy or one of his guys like well why didn't i think of that it's a stupid exactly thing. like that's like i'm gonna go teach this to my white belts and they're gonna get it immediately just man but like a lot of people there's a lot of conflation in jujitsu like um 
man, one I talk about a lot is uh, just like learning from like lower ranks uh, when I was coming up. You know, like standing guard pass, like you can do the two hands on like standing guard break. You can do the two hands on one knee, but you cannot do that shit on your knees. But people teach that. I've been in yeah. a room where people teach that. And it's like, which way do you want to get your back taken? Exactly. And I'm never going to put both of my hands to one side of the knot of my belt. But, man, so, like, I see things like that a lot now, like, doing this for 16 years. That's that's a conflation. Like, somebody went and learned that standing where, you know, you're not it at it, it, it a risk. And then they went back and they're like, oh, you can do this from your knees. And then that person taught that person taught – and it became a, a point of confusion. I've seen that on like, man, several fundamental techniques. Um, and but that's what's awesome about jujitsu, man. Every year I'm in, I figure new things out about arm bars and shit. I've been doing since I was a white belt. Yeah, I find that I'll write something off, and then a few years later I'll try it and it clicks. I'm like, why the hell have I been doing this the whole time? That's I have a theory about that. That's like. To me, that's context, right? So, like, two years, like, how much of your con the context of your personal jujitsu, if you, you know, train consistently and, you know, let's say you watch some film and compete and, um, you know, just you're engaged in the art, man. Like, that's uh, context changes over a two year period and you filled in all of these blanks all over the place and then you go back to something you haven't looked at in a long time and it's like you you know you just the context change you understand it in a different way that that happens to me more than like all the time you know mm -hmm. yeah 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 for me right now it's the inverted arm bar where you put the arm over your shoulder and you grab and attack it that way okay. hitting that everywhere are you do you like finish with like that gable style grit yeah i prefer that that's what i prefer too like like a really good friend of mine and he's won pans. Um, he's like the coach at the that school I was mentioning that they've they've produced a couple of champs, uh, world champions and adult. But he's like he's been into and I don't. This is not as good. It, I like the Gable version, but he's like putting it in his neck and grabbing like the owner part of the elbow and like pulling it over and then framing it. And like hmm. yeah, it's just like I haven't found I haven't found the application for that um, as much. One of the tightest arm locks I ever got caught in was by Flavio Kenup. And he's like the little, like, like a knee pinch arm bar. But it was like at my elbow. Like it was like, um, some, sometimes people do that, like an overhook arm lock from Butterfly. Yeah. And like uh, go in, like you get knee pinch on the shoulder. But dude, his knees were pinched around like more like my bicep when he caught it. And like just had it like barely tucked into his hip, like had like a sleeve grip and did it uh from just like an open guard but man i i do like the the udi gatamis man that's what they're called in judo uh udi yeah Gatami. collar chokes for me collar chokes and triangles right on um collar chokes yeah. like guard any position uh i like the ilio gracie choke from guard or back back control anything on the back that's my goal when i'm rolling is to get to the back We've been, uh, this whole month, have been doing tons of back control. Um, there's this dude from Brazil I trained with recently that, dude, he he's a six degree. His name's Rodrigo Feijão, old old Novo Nyao guy. Um, but a lot of, lot of champions he's produced over the years. But he, this is interesting. 
everything he had us doing was um, on strangles. Was like we'd have a seatbelt, you know, and then he'd be like switch, and then choke. He's like, th- he's like, if you already had the seatbelt, like they're they're gonna grab that top arm, like you're not gonna choke them. And mm-hmm. he's like, so he's like, and then you know, we start in the class, we're in back mount, but he was like, it, and then like, man, like I did four classes with him that week. I drove up to Bentonville like several times, did privates with him. Was in town for a couple weeks, and every like a lot of stuff was like switching the grip and then attacking after the switch. And this is a strategy I just never really seen anybody apply from from back control like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm big about I'll take my choking arm that's over the shoulder and I'll make that the underhand, Mm -hmm. so they'll grab the support hand, and that allows me to get into the neck. Yeah, that's sneaky. I like that. Um. There's another thing that he kept doing, like, um, dude, he was, like, dismounting turtle or, like, letting you escape b- the back and then going into, like, hot chokes, you know? like Yeah. Like, setting, and I'd seen, like, back in the day, like, um, Keenan Cornelius did some shit like that off, of, like, guard passing in tournaments, like, but it was, it was, like, the same strategy, but, man, he had, like, uh, he, he was all about setting, like, upper body grips on back control. And then, yeah, I find the seatbelt is the most important part. Yeah, yeah, no, that's um for sure. Uh, another thing, uh, I never done this. Like, seems stupid. Like we've been doing them like crazy. Like he'd have us get behind somebody standing, one minute, no grips, no hooks, and you follow them. They can go up, they can go down, side to side. Uh, and then he just kept adding. He's like, okay, now you have seatbelt in the top top arm. Put that hook in. Now all positions. Uh, you have both hooks with a, you know, the choke grip, like both hands, uh, like uh, Okiri uh, is what's called in judo, uh, like that bow and arrow style, just like cross choke from the back, you know. <laughs> and uh, But, like, man, he just, like, where you would follow, and he, uh, it's, like, all about having us connect our chins on the person on the back and that was just like a a huge detail that is i think is underemphasized is like connecting with your head yeah on a back control that's something that like i walked away with like okay that's way more important than i've been paying attention to you know yeah that's actually something that i've kind of been using that's kind of revolutionized my back is when i get to the back i'm doing that chest to shoulder or chin to chin to shoulder connection Mm-hmm. But I'm doing that so that shoulder can't move down to the mat. Because if I can keep their shoulder lined up with mine, their back can't go to the mat. Because that's that shoulder has to touch the mat yeah. if their back is going to go to the mat to escape. So if I can control that point, it takes away a lot of other thinking that I have to do. I'm actually teaching a seminar on this next week. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, I'll get some videos and shoot you some stuff. I got some cool stuff I'm working on. Yeah, no, I would love, dude, I would love to see it, particularly because we like, I trained with this Beja dude like three months ago, filmed, filmed everything and just edited it and have like been reviewing it, teaching it back to my people. We did it after I trained it for a couple weeks, but you know, I've been like anything back control right now, um, and like just have like had some new revolutions myself. So I'm just like, oh man, um, what yeah, you know, what are your thoughts on like um rear mount like uh you like know, when they're just mounted belly down yeah you flatten their ass maybe perhaps 
oh, dude, that's that's what we dream for. That's what we want. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just gonna pull you up on your forehead and choke you. Yeah, that's my fa- dude. Though that's another thing those Hickson guys are super into. Like, um, you know, like I'm all into like personally. If I'm gonna take your back, I do more of like I would call like a setup style back take. Like, say I have you in technical mount, I'm gonna set you up and take your back that way. Mm-hmm. But man, those guys don't take the back that way. They they exclusively turn your ass flat down into rear mount. Like from gift wrap, you're going to rear mount. Like it's wow. I I know. Like I was um I was kind of surprised because like I would see um the rear mount come up all the time but in like particular like al- almost all of hickson's fights uh he ends the dude in rear mount right and oh yeah several of his guys that fought mma or would do jujitsu or like just their details on it but man that's that's a position that's like oh man like that is the worst position to be in too yeah as far as grappling goes i can't imagine a worse thing yeah like all your defenses are smashed into the ground and somebody's sitting on your back that's uh, dude, Matt Hughes. That's how he beat um, Hoist Gracie, mm-hmm. like UFC sixty or sixty two or whatever it was. Like rear mounted him and just like ground and pounded him. Uh, Conor McGregor. That's how he got choked out by Nate Diaz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They just get that back mount and start throwing punches until you lift your head up and throw the choke on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now nah, back control, man. That is like that's the that's the king position for me. That's. Uh, everything if i could just you know get on the back that would be like we've been doing a ton of standing entries that's another like i love being at the back from standing while i like that guy's drills so much we just did a ton of of work from standing so like i just upped my awareness and connection and everything from the back from standing which is like man i get to standing back a lot and i've got some finishes i like to do um but i feel like that's a position that's like man we don't i don't work that enough you know, like you get an arm drag to the back and then you might not do the takedown from there. Um, you know, it's just like depends on what you're working on, I guess. But Yeah. Any, in, as far as any combat goes, if you can be behind your opponent or your partner or whatever, I mean, there's nothing better. Yeah. They can't do anything to you because their hands are in front of them and you're behind them. Yeah. No, that's – um, and then, too, this is also jujitsu. I, you know, like been doing back control, but I remember being at, um, oh, I don't even, this was called, you ever remember a jiu-jitsu tournament called Cozen? Mm-mm. They did a few uh, tournaments around like Springfield and, and elsewhere, but I had a dude, I got taken down with a foot sweep, the only tournament match I ever did break fall in. Um, then he had me in kind of like a rear side position, ended up taking my back, doing the stuff we're talking about, gets the collar set, body triangles my ass. And then I did a body triangle counter, which broke this dude's foot. Ooh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about, too. This is, yeah. But it's just like, man, you're never safe. You know? Honestly, like, yeah. You're never safe. Like, that dude thought – I mean, he did. He had me dead to rights. I was dead to rights. Like, And, um, you know, I won the match and got to, got to fight again that day because I was like – that was I got to fight for third because I had lost, like, a – lost a match already or won one lost one i got to because i won that one i got to stay in but i was just like all right that would have been a long drive because if if i would have lost that match i was done for the day you know yeah that was something that took me a lot to overcome is like not investing my whole personality in my jujitsu like if i lose a match it would 
piss me off for a month. You know, I couldn't get out of that funk. And now that I've like stepped away from it, like professionally, and it's not like my whole life, I can compete more and I enjoy it more again. Dude, yeah, I had to go find tournaments to do that my students wouldn't be at. You know, like that was a serious problem. And then like AGF, like by the time they had done three or four tournaments in Arkansas, there was one tournament that between my students and we had this student of mine that had a, opened a gym and he had five or six students. But we had 32 people there that day on like my team, right? Like mm-hmm. our gym and that gym. And I also competed, you know, and that guy who on the other gym competed. And it's just like, man, that was that was a hard part. Or like Cora, my wife, would be competing. And it's like you're trying to coach and then been coaching kids at 8 a.m. And now it's 2 p.m. and you're grappling and you got to go out and coach your wife in your gi and then go back out and do another. It just, man, it was not enjoyable. And that's actually like I was about 28 when I stopped competing and I was – was a brown belt and i was like winning matches and having i was having decent results like i was not i just like i was hurt all the time like dude i'm actually wearing a rib brace right now from an old tournament injury yeah uh but um you know man i just like i i remember seeing widespread panic the night before and my back was super fucking hurt and i was competing the next day in tulsa nationals and i was just like I think that'll probably be the last time I do that tomorrow. Yeah. It was. That was the last fucking time, dude. And, like, it, it's weird, too, because, uh, you know, that's been, like, seven years ago now. And I enjoy jiu-jitsu way, way more not competing uh, personally, kind of like what you're saying. But also, like, just, like, we've got the AGF Arkansas coming up, and, I, I like, here's what goes on sometimes. I'm like, uh, I could – I could do that one, you know. I can, I just go do it. It wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you still get the itch, and it's not even really, dude. I, I don't know. I just never. I I compete for the wrong reasons. I just did not enjoy that shit. You know, like I didn't. the The first few times I competed, and the times I fought, I had some fights, kickboxing, MMA, and and some jujitsu tournaments before I started coaching, and that I did for selfish reasons you know like and then it just became like a part of my job like like an obligation like i have to yeah to to show my students or something it was a weird a weird thing you know and that's why i like the podcast talking to people about this stuff is like yeah i'm usually talking to school owners or people that have like man they've been through the same shit whether it's competing or coaching or, or what have you you know yeah, no, I've definitely been there, man. And now that I'm not like the guy, competing's fun again. You know, I get to go out there and coach some of the guys and help out, but you know, at the end of the day, it's still about me. Yeah. That uh, was there like uh did you have like a long time period off where you weren't competing? No, I've been competing pretty consistently. Yeah. At least once a year. Yeah, no, nah, that's uh, I don't, I, I don't know, I don't want to rule out. I, I will probably compete again someday. I don't know. I'm just like, it's yeah, gonna, it's gonna have to be just like where, like, I, I don't feel like it's an obligation or a pressure. Exactly. Like, yeah. Not, you know, not also having a, a freaking flare up of an old rib injury. You know. Yeah, I actually broke my rib in a tournament trying to heel hook somebody, twisted too hard, pop, 
Dude, this uh, is the a, worst. my rib is broken right now, and it's the same. The first time I injured the injured it is um like you know how like people can set a hook to put you in the like a a truck like roll like you're in turn. Yeah. Dude, Brand, I was training with Brandon Quick. He was teaching a seminar at AGF, and I was like in that turtle position, and he he was like rolling over my back this way, and I was kind of like turning and twisting this way, just like what you're saying on a heel hook. Yeah. And it popped, dude. And that was about six years ago, and I've had fucking problems with it ever since, dude. Oh, so, dude. And it I was pretty lucky. Mine healed up pretty good. My chest, it, it, oddly enough, like uh, just like how I guess things are connected together but man when it flares up i feel it in my sternum it's weird yeah i don't envy you yeah yeah but you know it's uh i'm sure you've got your your laundry list of uh old old nagging injuries as well oh man i was actually just competing a few weeks ago and uh i threw up a buggy choke because i've got my guard passed and um my arm was too shallow and i pulled and I hyper extended my elbow, it's still giving me issues now. Yeah. Yeah. Elbows, dude. Uh, yeah. My yeah. give me issues like every night when I sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah. My shoulders, too. Oh, man. Yeah. It's weird. But, you know, damn, we better use the body. You know what? I'll say, like, if we did not train and just, like, ate McDonald's and, like, didn't exercise, we would probably feel worse. That's my theory. You know? Yeah. Like, I know some people that are super overweight, like, and their quality of life is not good. You know, it's just like your joints got to be hurting as, as bad as mine just from inflammation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. You kind of cut out there, man. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I uh, do. Your uh, your audio is gone. How's that? Okay, there we go. Good. I said to turn those headphones off. Yeah, no worries, dude. My girlfriend's iPad. There we go. Well, dude. Um, you know we can uh we can go ahead and wrap it up. Actually, um, I did. Uh, man, it's been awesome. You know, catching up with you and chatting talking a little jujitsu and magic and some squabby yeah dude absolutely if you guys ever plan on coming out here man like hit me up could catch a show it sounds dope for sure uh, are you in denver or, or where are you at i'm in the denver area yeah, yeah. okay yeah you know um a really good friend of mine lives out there too and like we cut we go and stay with her sometimes um about once a year or so um and then too i still have not seen panic at the red rocks so oh dude you gotta go that will definitely happen um this last year we were going to go and my wife had surgery um like on the like the week before she ended up having uh, like her meniscus repaired Ooh. so um that yeah was, not good for red rocks yeah but uh man that's like i've i've seen incubus there like we flew out and saw incubus there and that was an awesome show so um yeah actually speaking of well, I mean, i saw their first red rock show that they headlined last year man that's uh yeah that would be sick but Man, I, yeah, we'll definitely be back out there. We've been out a few times, and it's definitely um, it's on the list of places to go back to. We were trying to go back like last spring break. It just didn't pan out either. So we're we're due a trip. So if I'm in the area, I'll hit you up. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, Blake. Well, thanks for your time, man. It's, it was good talking to you. And, um, man, we'll, we'll see you around. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. All right, man.